Welcome to the Post-Christian Podcast. My name is Eric Bryant. I'm one of the executive pastors at Gateway in Austin, Texas. My foundation exists to equip and empower church leaders in reaching new people and raising up leaders. I'm the author of Not Like Me and Fruitful, Becoming Who God Created You to Be. Join me on social media for Through the New Testament for Skeptics and Seekers. And be sure to sign up for my email newsletter where you can receive free resources at ericbryant.org. Well, I'm excited today to have on the podcast with me, Justin Briarly. Welcome, Justin. Hi, lovely to be with you, Eric. Thanks for the invitation. Absolutely. Well, as author of Unbelievable, the radio show and the podcast, the premier Christian radio network, uh, you also ask NT Write Anything. Uh, tell us a little bit about your spiritual journey, if you don't mind. We'd love to hear how you uh, came to f- become a follower of Jesus. Well, I, I was fortunate to be raised in, in a Christian family, um, though just being raised in a Christian family doesn't obviously make someone a Christian. And I guess I found my faith in my mid to, to late teens. Um, that was through uh, a youth group, especially a youth pastor who helped to to, to move things along for me. And yeah, I'd, I'd say it was a very sort of in a sense, quite an experiential faith. It, it was something where I, I just, you know, it's that I had a, a particular weekend when I went to a church youth camp where it all kind of came together for me in a kind of very significant way. And 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 I could almost pinpoint, you know, that being the moment when I really got serious about faith and when things came together. But having said that, my faith would obviously, like so many people, continued to evolve uh, as time went on. I, I was then not that long after heading off to university to, to Oxford University and that's a place full of very skeptical people you meet a lot of objections to Christian faith there were certainly plenty of moments of doubt along the way when I wondered you know had I, had I just had a you know a, something happened in my head that didn't exist in reality um but along the way I was I was reading or beginning to read at least some of those great thinkers of the faith CS Lewis and Chesterton and others and starting to to encounter what I later learned had this technical name apologetics, um, so the defense of the Christian faith from an intellectual standpoint. And I didn't know it at the time, but but that was eventually where my own career would lead. Uh, I was interested in uh, theater and drama and communication. Um, I, as well as doing the degree I did at Oxford, I was heading up a Christian arts and drama society and that kind of thing. But that all came together after um, I had a gap year after university with my wife, after we got married, into actually um, beginning with Premier Christian Radio here in the UK. Um, that was, uh, you know, I loved the idea of being on radio. I loved the communication part of that. I loved being able to do it from a Christian perspective. But one thing that I really wanted to to try my hand at was having those kinds of conversations with people who do have doubts and uh, objections who are skeptics of the Christian faith. And and so about three years into learning the ropes of broadcasting, I was able to launch the Unbelievable show. And, and that's really how what that's been there for ever since. Well, your work is very helpful uh, to me and I'm sure to others who are familiar. Of course, your website, uh, justinbriarly.com, that's B-R-I-E-R-L-E-Y, will point everyone to these resources. Talk about what you've learned over these years. I mean, you even have a great subtitle for your book, Unbelievable. Why, after talking with atheists for 10 years, I'm still a Christian. I I would love to know what are some of the things you've learned just being in this world of apologetics? 
Well, certainly one of the things I learned early on, I think, is that we all come to life with a worldview, that none of us are a blank slate. Um, we all have biases and particular ways of looking at things. And early on in some of those conversations I was beginning to host between Christians and atheists, um, there, there, there is a perception sometimes among atheists that cr- all of the burden of proof is on the shoulders of the Christian to defend their strange beliefs in the supernatural and God and heaven and angels and that sort of thing. Um, but I soon realized actually all of the atheists I met had a particular perspective, a set of beliefs. Now, whether they consciously realized that or not, I, I soon came to see that a lot of atheists I was interacting with on the show subscribe to a worldview that you could call naturalism or physicalism or materialism, that all that ultimately exists is matter in motion, the, the forces of nature. Um, but that that is a way of looking at the world uh, and it has a certain number of consequences. It means that um, ultimately there's no ultimate overriding purpose to the universe, um, that we really don't know where it came from or where it's going, um, that ultimately many of the things that are the most meaningful for human beings, whether it be truth, love, beauty, right, wrong, morality, um, they're actually illusions really because ultimately it can all be boiled down to chemistry and electrons and and so it was interesting in the process of doing that coming to see that there there are basically different worldviews and different ways of looking at the same world around us uh and that i'm an atheist a skeptic needs just as much to be willing to make a defense of their particular perspective as the christian does of theirs um and in the process of doing that as we had lots of these conversations between really great christian thinkers and really great atheist and skeptical thinkers I realized actually that um, it's not that there's a knockdown proof for Christianity or indeed a knockdown proof for atheism, but that we're all trying to offer the best explanation we can for the world we see around us. And what I ultimately came down to and what the book really hinges on is, is what is the better explanation of the universe we see around us, life as we experience it, history as it's revealed to us? Um, is it the atheist? Uh, worldview naturalism or is the christian worldview the better explanation and when you bring all of those things together although there is still much mystery and questions and doubts that remain i've always found the christian worldview to just be the better explanation it makes more sense of all of the data that i see in front of me i accept my atheist friends often see it differently but but that's kind of where i landed and that's sort of where you know the main lesson i'd say i took from that book well and there's two, you know, important questions. We'll be happy to give away the book to uh, some of those who uh, sign up for my email newsletter. So keep an eye out for that in your inbox. But I want to just ask you, you, you refer to them as your atheist friends, and you sometimes host debates. Uh, but I find the way that you in your interviews interact with people from different backgrounds, uh, and even the, the, the phrase, you know, defending the faith, you have a, a warmth, a kindness, a general interest in the other person. I think sometimes in America we hear debates and defense of the faith, or even apologetics can be seen like you got to argue someone into the kingdom. Mm. I, I, talk about your approach because you you do have atheist friends. You actually are engaged in meaningful conversations. Talk a little bit about how you do that. Yeah, and I think 
this is this is really key and important because the problem sometimes with apologetics as a movement is is that it it can hinge around basically beating people over the head with intellectual arguments and expecting them that somehow to win them over to Christianity and that people are not simply brains on legs we don't just deal in logic when it comes to the, the reason we do things um, we're, we're a complex set of emotions and reasons for the for the sort of choices we make uh, and to that extent I don't think you can ever really point someone in the direction of Christianity simply through a logical argument now might be an important part of someone's journey particularly people who are wired that way but um if they don't want what's on offer if you come across as a kind of brash arrogant you know kind of a person then you know for most people what they'll be seeing is you're telling me that christianity is true but do i want the thing that's actually on offer because you're you're the kind of the example of it and and for me, it's really important that we we go in understanding that it's not just what we say, it's it's how we say it. I mean, it's right there in in that classic verse from scripture that apologists frequently quote, First Peter 3.15 says, always be ready to give um an answer to anyone who asks you about the reason for the hope that you have. And then there's this extra bit, which sometimes gets missed off, but do this with gentleness and respect. And that's so critical. If you don't do the bit at the end of the verse, the bit at the beginning of the verse won't land, uh, you know. And so I've never had, I want to make friends of atheists and skeptics. I mean, why wouldn't you? The problem is we do live, and sadly, it's only exacerbated by social media in a very culture war kind of, you know, environment now. And, And it seems like everyone has to basically be, lobbing hand grenades from their barricades at the other side in order to sort of somehow be taken seriously i just don't i i just don't buy that i i think we've got to remain um friendly we've got to treat each other as human beings it's it's kind of why i think unbelievable with its long form discussion format has actually been quite helpful in that sense because it's harder to just dismiss and caricature someone when you're sitting opposite them having a long-form conversation. It's much easier to do that from behind a keyboard on Twitter or whatever. So so for me, yeah, it's it's absolutely critical, everything that you've, you've said there, Eric. Well, and I love that um, long-form conversation, like having a conversation, sharing a meal, uh, really yeah. being interested, asking questions. Um, what are some of the things over the years that you've found to be most helpful when it comes to your explanation of the Christian faith, that seems to be most intriguing to the atheist, to the agnostic. What are some of the evidences that you give that seem to really open hearts and minds? Mm. It will depend on the individual because we, we've all got our own interests, haven't we? Um, and I'm actually um, in the process of publishing a book that comes out later this year in September, where I talk about, and the title of the book is going to be the surprising rebirth of belief in God. And and I detail a number of people who are either seem to be on a journey towards embracing faith from a sort of who have been in this kind of skeptical mode or have crossed the line and become Christians having been atheists and so on. And and what I find across those kinds of stories is that most commonly is is that what I was saying earlier, that people coming to realize that the story of atheism the naturalistic worldview doesn't make sense of the totality of their experience. Now, that may not lead them to full-blooded Christianity, or at least not at first, but it certainly will make them start to question whether a universe that is just ultimately reducible to matter in motion 
really can make sense of the the diversity of their experience and everything else. Now, for people who are scientifically minded, one of the things that might start to, you know, poke those kinds of doubts into their mind is something like the fine tuning of the universe uh, for life. Um, this is a extraordinary phenomenon, uh, but where our best science is showing us that the universe has a very precisely set set of numbers and fundamental parameters that had to be just as they are things like the force of uh the um electromagnetism the 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 force of gravity uh the ratio of um electrons to protons in the universe there's there's lots of there's about 30 or 40 of these fundamental uh constants and numbers that that if they were ever so slightly different from the actual values they take life chemistry the stuff that we you know you have to have to even have the possibility of life in the universe just couldn't exist you'd have a universe full of black holes you'd have a sterile universe you'd have a universe that collapsed back in on itself that the list of other types of universe that do not produce life are far far more likely than the universe we actually find ourselves in conscious human beings being able to have these kinds of conversations now for me that is a rather intriguing mystery and can't simply be dismissed as oh well we just got lucky that's not what you know the numbers don't stack up for that um something else is going on and i find that you know again you could take other scientific examples where it seems to be pointing the universe seems to be pointing beyond itself at various points um the fact that the universe had a beginning in space and time you know according again to our best physics of the universe the fact that we can do science at all uh the fact that the universe is written in the language of mathematics again it's something that nobel prize winning physicist eugene vigner described as uh, a miracle he said there's no reason why the universe should be so eminently explorable and yet it is all of these for me as i said they fit better with a christian explanation than the naturalist explanation which which just isn't an explanation as far as i can see for these things it's just dumb luck um and and so so there's one example of where i think there's some really fruitful things we had lots of shows on that i devote a chapter of my book to those kinds of issues but then you know you could you could go down the history route and you know i could tell you about uh, tom holland who's a secular historian who himself has had you know a really interesting intellectual journey towards christianity after just investigating the fact that the Greeks and the Romans, who he loved to spend his time on, he wrote very popular historical novels on. Um, the more that he studied these these people, he realized how alien they were to his own values and beliefs. And, and he came to realize, as someone who had, you know, pretty much rejected Christianity in his youth, that he actually didn't think like a Roman or a Greek. He thought like a Christian, and it was the Christian revolution of 2,000 years ago that he was basically a product of now does that mean that he immediately becomes a christian not necessarily but it's it's sort of people like him who are asking difficult questions of well what story are we living by and how come this christian story has been so extremely successful and basically shaped the way we think of ourselves in the west and can we just sort of now move past it you know if we're living in a secular west in a post-christian west or actually uh is there a danger in jettisoning that story so there's there's all kinds of different ways i think that you can go and 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 there are some really interesting conversations with some of these folk who kind of seem to be on this journey themselves too you know your approach is much more like paul and mars hill than paul and berea for example yeah. i mean you're quoting scientists as paul quoted poets paul pointed out their unknown god i think 
oftentimes people who have a real love for the scriptures and a defense of the gospel sort of mentality, uh, their argument would be, well, the Bible says this, and you're talking with people who don't believe the Bible. Uh, being in the UK, um, you're in a post-Christian world. Uh, I, I use that term for this podcast for a lot of the work that I do just because of my work in Seattle and Los Angeles and and Austin. But Austin has, you know, 13% of people go to church. Uh, that's more in tune with Europe than Dallas, which might have 70 to 80%. But in England, it's probably less than 2%. <laughs> Talk about uh, what, and, and I would say our, our, we probably have young adults who rejected faith of their parents. You have grandparents who rejected the faith of their great grandparents. Mm, mm, mm. But talk about what it's like to navigate as a as a husband, a father, a follower of Jesus in a more post-Christian world. Talk about that for a moment. If you yeah. And, and I've often heard this, and, and I think it's true that the UK in a way is is further down that post-Christian wor- route than the US. And so maybe some of what we're experiencing seeing here is 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 yet to happen in the US. There are big differences, though, having said that we've got very different histories and the way in which our churches, you know, grew and the culture that exists. Uh, I've increasingly realized that, you know, even as America becomes more post-Christian itself, you know, you look at the statistics, there's, you know, lots of Gen Z and millennials now ticking the nun box and so on. Um, There's still this different kind of dynamic in the US where it was founded on to a large extent on those pilgrim fathers who went over there's there's a kind of um a, a religiosity that's more baked in i think in a funny way than in the in the UK arguably but yeah here in the UK we we are definitely you know a long way down that post christian uh story um yet yet even in that it, you know e- even in in the midst of the fact that you know the last census results uh, at the end of last year showed that less than half the population now describe themselves as Christian. And obviously right. it's only a tiny proportion of that that actually attend church with any regularity. Um, it, it's interesting. You you don't necessarily see that that equates to lots of people now calling themselves atheist either. Um, you know, if, if you looked at the number of people who actually said, well, I'm an out-and-out atheist, it, it's still relatively small. It hasn't changed an awful lot. There's a lot of people now who I think – might wear a label like well i'm i'm open to spirituality but i'm not religious um there there are people who maybe just haven't thought about it who are just sort of bumbling along as a sort of agnostic of some kind even if and may not even have you know thought of that label for themselves um so it's not as though so it's not exactly the country's become anti-christian either the new atheism in a way was a very specific movement that the, and the bubble kind of burst on it, if I'm honest, a few years ago. It, it it sort of lost its pizzazz and is a bit of a shadow of its former self now. Um, but yeah, I, I think there's just generally a scepticism generally of organized anything. You know, it's not, you know, church membership and attendance is obviously down, but so is political membership. So so we're all kinds of social things, you know, culturally that that people, you know, are more individualistic. They they kind of want to keep to themselves. They, you know, we're less connected with each other than we used to be because of technology, ironically. Um and and all of that. So so there's lots of things going on in the mix. And I don't want to say it's just one thing that's that's kind of creating this. However, whereas other people maybe get quite pessimistic and gloomy and doomy about, you know, the the fact that 
we've seen this downward trajectory in church going and people calling themselves Christian in the UK. I'm just absolutely positive that this is not the end of the story. Um, We have seen, you know, things come and go in the history of the West many times. We've seen uh, revivals followed by people falling away and, you know, dead tradition replacing the living faith of a previous generation. And then something new happens and, you know, the Wesleys and the Whitfields come along and, and, you know, sudden you never know what's around the corner. And as I've had lots of these conversations, uh, especially in more recent years, I've seen the way in which a lot of people are absolutely unsatisfied with the materialist account of reality. It's just not answering any of our deepest questions. People are more um, depressed, anxious, distracted in our technological age, even though we've got all these wonders of modern technology, none of them seem to actually answer any of the deepest needs and longings of people. And I think there's just a point at which the church will be ready, as it always has been, with the answer, which is Jesus Christ. Um, It may be a different kind of influx the next time round, the way that we receive the refugees from the meaning crisis and that kind of thing. But I, I, I think that, you know, we could be on the cusp of it. I mean, that's actually, you know, again, to plug my next book, it's kind of what the, the theme of it is, this surprising rebirth of God, of belief in God. I think that that we're due for something like that. I I, I don't think people can live on the the fumes of, of the Christian story, which, are, you know, uh, without the the roots of that, you know. Uh, and so so I, I, I think that the church has a lot to do um, in helping to make itself ready for that. But I, I think people can't survive on atheistic naturalism, secularism for, for, for all that much longer. Well, I appreciate so much what you're doing to help get the church ready for that. I too have an optimistic view of the future and feel like uh, in many ways, what we're experiencing is a more honest approach to life. People are just mm. being more honest. They, they used to just say, I'm a Christian because I'm an American, <laughs> you know? Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. And even even that, you know, switch in the UK, having more say, that's just not how I would even describe myself, I think gives us an opportunity to really mm. help people reconstruct a faith that's outside of their parents or grandparents, or even the misunderstanding of what the worldwide religion of Christianity is and truly mm. look at who Jesus is, mm. which is part of why, why your work's so important. And what uh, even your interviews with Dr. Wright, I feel like my journey included a, a season of deconstruction, but it was more getting rid of the things added on, the traditions mm. added on mm. and mm. getting back to what the Bible really says, what Jesus really said. And so thank you mm. for all that you're doing. Oh, really grateful for, uh, for what you do, justinbriarly.com. And thank you, Justin. Keep up the great work. Thanks. It's been great to be with you, Eric. Thanks for joining us on the Post-Christian Podcast. More resources available at ericbryant.org.